All right, grab a Bible. First Peter chapter 1 is where we are. First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be in 10 through 12 this morning, just a few verses. First Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12. And uh, hey, if you don't have a Bible at home, grab one of these in the seats here. We have them kind of floating around, and you can take that one home. It's our gift for you. Last week, we began this summer-long journey through the book of First Peter. And today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We ended in verse 9 last week, and so we're going to pick up in verse 10 in just a few moments. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you, uh, a, a few, uh, or a month ago, it was Labor Day weekend, and I was hanging out at my brother-in-law's place uh, when his buddy pulls up, and his buddy pulls up in a red Ferrari, uh, F430, if I think I got that right, and uh, this guy does car auctions. And uh, he, he was saying, I get all these cars, and I turn them over for a profit, uh, but this was the most uh, beautiful, the nicest, most expensive car that he had ever uh, got his hands on. He was so excited, and us guys kind of stood at the bottom of the driveway and just were just in awe. We were just kind of drooling over this car for about 30 minutes, and uh, we're just talking car talk, and I'm pretending like I have a clue. And, uh, and uh, I remember after about 30 minutes, I realized I hadn't like, looked at the whole thing, and so I remember going around the, the front and just looking at it from this angle and thinking, Wow, like I fell in love with the car all over again. You know, it was so low to the ground and so wide. It was just so, so sweet. And that's what Peter does for us today in in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 10 through 12, as he takes uh, the gospel message in the first nine verses, as we looked at last week, and he presents it to us in, in verses 1 through 9. And he says, now that's sweet, huh? And everybody looks at it and says, that's amazing. That, that's beautiful. And today, in verses 10 through 12, he says, okay, now, now come around front here. Now, I want you to look at it this way. That's nice, huh? And, and he gives us this different perspective, and that's what we're going to see today in verses 10 through 12. It's, it's a different perspective. It's the same gospel. It's the same Jesus. It's the same hope in the midst of difficulty, as we've been talking about, but it's a different perspective. And oftentimes in life, we just... We just need a different perspective, don't we? And so that's what he's going to do for us today. And so last week, as we saw, he's writing this book to uh, these Christians in the five provinces of Asia, which is uh, Asia Minor, um, which is modern-day Turkey today. And these Christians are are believers who are facing great persecution. If you know uh, the story back in Acts chapter 8, at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen dies. He's he's killed. He's the first Christian martyr. And then we read at the very beginning of Acts chapter 8 that that really kind of set the stage for what was to happen next, that this great persecution arose among all those people who made the decision to follow Jesus, and because the persecution was so hot and so heavy upon them that they just scatter and they just go all over the place. And, and we start to see as we read through the book of Acts that this scattering was actually used by the Lord uh, to, to bring the gospel all over the place. And many people where these scattered Christians would go would now hear the gospel message of Jesus there as well. And they were under this, this very real heavy persecution both in Jerusalem, and then it started to spread, and they still, because the Roman Empire was so vast, they still uh, were under all of this persecution and all this suffering. Now, as I look around our room today, I know that we have all kinds of different people uh, with various life experiences. Some grew up with little, and some of you grew up with much. 
Some of you are blue-collar, and others of you are white-collar. Some of you have the college experience, and some of you had the military experience. And, and some of you grew up in the States, and some of you grew up in, in another country. And we have all these various life experiences, but no matter what, there's one experience that is going to unite all of us, and that is the experience of suffering. It's the experience of pain. It's the experience of pressure coming upon us. And, and what Peter points out in the first nine verses is that as Christians, we have this hope. And it's not hope in the way that the world uses the word hope. We use the word hope in the world as, as uncertainty. Like, gee, I hope it doesn't rain today. Which is basically saying, I don't know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I, I really don't want it to. But the Bible uses the word hope as certainty. That we can have certainty of eternal glory. That we can have certainty of uh, the the hope that God has given us. And we have that for sure secured for us. That no matter how hard our lives get. That we can remember that God has chosen me for salvation. That Jesus has saved me. That God has come to earth as a man to rescue people who are sinful. He lived a life that was sinless, undeserving of the wages of sin, which is death. But he died willingly, taking on our payment for sin as our substitution. He then resurrects to life so that if I turn from sin, if you turn from sin and you turn to him and place faith in all that he has done, you receive what the Bible calls salvation. It goes on then in the first nine verses, and he tells us that we have this amazing inheritance. It's this inheritance that cannot spoil, that cannot get messed up. It is your inheritance. Because God is so perfectly faithful that he cannot go back on his promises, so you can't even mess it up. He gives it to you. It's it's yours. In fact, Peter says in those nine verses that, that God stands guard over this inheritance. Like, back off. Don't mess up this inheritance. This is for my, my children. And so no matter how hard it gets, we have this hope. No matter how hard it gets, we have not just hope in the way the world uses it, but certainty, this assurance. And listen, the, the Christian faith and the, the Christian hope was never intended to be this elusive spiritual possibility. It was intended to be this life-changing certainty causing us to live boldly in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty. Not that when when life deals us this kick in the gut that it doesn't hurt, that it doesn't knock the wind out of us, but that we're not paralyzed, that we get back up and we keep moving forward because we have this salvation, this hope that is in Christ. Now, look with me at verse 10 where we pick up. He says, concerning this salvation. So let's stop for a second there. In other words, we've talked about this salvation. Now concerning all of that, here's another perspective. You, you need to see this. That, that though you're hurting, catch this, though you're hurting, I want you to understand that you have got it made. Now for the first seven years of my ministry, I took people to some really rough places around the world uh, a couple, at least a couple times a year. And they would always seem to come back with this, this new perspective that was really, really important. And the perspective was, okay, wow, since I have a weatherproof home, weatherproof home and indoor plumbing, compared to the majority of the world, I am filthy rich. They would come back from these third world countries and be like, wow, I am rich. I remember as a kid growing up thinking, man, my friends were getting the, the latest and greatest game systems. 
And I didn't get the Nintendo until everybody else was onto the Super Nintendo. And I thought I was so poor. I was, life was so hard for me, you know? And then I remember as a teenager going away to a third world country and just saying, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, I'm a complete and utter idiot. It's that physical perspective that we all need, right? But we also, as Christians, need spiritual perspective from time to time as well. Because we can become so accustomed to the gospel. We can become so accustomed to the message of Jesus that it ceases to blow our minds. right? That it ceases to become good news to us. It just becomes like old news to us. And we forget how privileged we are. And so in verses 10 through 12, Peter says, let me give you some perspective. And interestingly, he does so by talking about prophets and angels. And I've got to be honest, I've been reading through this all week and preparing, just thinking, this is, this is a kind of strange perspective. But he's saying, I want to talk about prophets and angels, and I want to take you to a different side of the Ferrari, of this beautiful, amazing work of art, the gospel. I want to take you to a different side, and I want you to see this. And he says, I want you to see just how blessed you are, even in the midst of your suffering. Look at this gospel message from the vantage point of the prophets and the angels. And this is the only place in all of scripture where we have prophets and angels together. So it's kind of a unique spot. So let's read it uh, a little bit if we can. Let's keep going. Concerning this salvation, everything that I've talked about, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ and them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, so the first group that we look at here for some perspective is that of of the prophets. And so back in verse 6, Peter acknowledges that you've been grieved, we've all been grieved, by by various trials. And we can't look over the aisle and say, well, my situation's a lot harder than hers or his. He says, listen, we've all been grieved. We've we've all gone through it. And it it hurts, whether it's as bad as his or hers or not. it, it, It hurts, and we've all been grieved. He's saying, I'm not trying to diminish the fact that life is hard. In fact, Peter knew that very, very well, right? Tradition will tell us that Peter was crucified. He didn't want to be crucified like Jesus, so he got crucified upside down. It's craziness, right? And he says, listen, let me tell you that there are people out there who long to be in your shoes. There are people who long to be in my shoes, and they are the Old Testament prophets and the angels. Now, a prophet in the Old Testament was a person who, who spoke with authority for God. And so God would tell them, here's what I want you to say, here's what I want you to write. And they were generally speaking or writing on, on one of two topics. One was repentance, which means to, to turn, to come back to God, because throughout the Old Testament, you just see God's people just wandering, just wandering over and over and over again. And they were saying, repent, come back to God. He's gracious. He's going to take you back. Come back. The second thing they're talking about often are are future events. They're saying, here's what's going to happen. And Peter here is telling us that even these prophets, though they're writing about what was to happen, they didn't fully understand exactly what was to happen. If you look at verse 10 again, it says, they searched and they inquired carefully. So they're asking, what are these things that, that God is telling us to speak about? Like, what is it? I'm going to write it down, but I don't quite 
get it. Verse 11, that they were inquiring about what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so who is the Spirit of Christ in them? The Spirit of Christ in them is this common referral to God the Holy Spirit, that God the Holy Spirit would fill them up and give them words to say, and he was instructing them to speak about the sufferings of Christ and, and, and these prophecies of what Christ would go through and the glories that would follow because of what Christ goes through. And so the prophets would do their job and they would speak on behalf of God what he told them, but it doesn't mean that they totally understood everything that they were speaking about. And it says they would study and they would search and they would try to figure it out, but they, did, they didn't just fully get it. They, they didn't quite get it. Who is this Christ? How could he suffer yet be a king? How could he be a miracle worker, yet be despised by men? Wouldn't men be like, wow, he's a miracle worker. So who, who were these prophets, and, and what were some of the prophecies about Christ that, that, that they gave us? I want to I just put some on the screen here for you to, to look at, and, and just a, a list of these. And, and, and the first one I want to look at is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. He's one of the prophets, Isaiah. And Isaiah says that he would be from Nazareth. Nazareth didn't have a good reputation. Later it said, what good could come out of Nazareth? So you could picture Isaiah saying, uh, okay, Nazareth? All right, you know, New York City? That's just Boston, right? Really? Genesis chapter 49.10, Moses will tell us that he would be of the, the tribe of Judah. So he would be from Nazareth, of the tribe of Judah, Micah will tell us in Micah chapter 5, 2, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Hosea will tell us, another prophet, uh, in 11, 1, he would, he would say that he would spend a season in Egypt. Now, that's some seriously difficult geographical information to fake, right? Okay, from Nazareth, of the tribe of Judah, you're, you're going to be born in Bethlehem, you're going to live in Nazareth, you're going to spend a season of your life in Egypt. Can you, how do you fake that stuff, right? And Isaiah will tell us in Isaiah seven fourteen that he will be born of a virgin. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, uh, 15 will tell us that a massacre of children would happen at his birthplace. And isn't that what happens? Herod who's afraid. He's threatened by this word, this rumor of this new king that has been born. So he just says, I'm going to kill him. He kills all these children in Bethlehem. Isaiah will tell us in 43 through 5 that, that a messenger would come and prepare the way for him. So if you're faking this whole thing, how do you get it set up that before you're even born, you have some messenger come and, and prepare the way for you? And in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, it tells us that he would be praised by little children. You know the story when they come to him, and the disciples say, back off, he's too important. He says, no, no, let the little children come to me. Zechariah will tell us that, that he would be called a king. They declare he's king of kings and lord of lords. Zechariah will also tell us in Zechariah 11, 12, and 13 that, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Not 29, not 31, an exact number, 30 pieces of silver, and then that silver would be used to buy a potter's field. How do you fake that stuff? Right? Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6 says that he would be spat upon and he would be struck. And we know that they spit on him and they, they beat him. Isaiah 53 says that he would be killed along with criminals. There was a a criminal on his left and on his his right. Psalm 22, uh, David will tell us, Zechariah 12, 10, will tell us that his hands and his feet were pierced. Sounds a whole lot like crucifixion, 
long before crucifixion was even invented. Psalm 69 will tell us that, that soldiers would, would, or that he would be given vinegar to drink, and on the cross it says he was given uh, sour wine or vinegar to, to, to drink. Psalm 22 uh, will, will tell us that soldiers would gamble for his garments, and sure enough, that's what happens. Exodus 12 will tell us that his bones would not be broken, and so they came around to, to, to make sure that nobody was still hanging on the cross on the Sabbath because that seemed to be not honoring to the Lord. And what they would do is they would just break the legs of people who were hanging on the cross so they could no longer push up for air and breathe. And if they broke their legs, they couldn't push up and they would just die. But they went to Jesus and it says they didn't have to break his legs because he was already dead. Just like the, the prophecy says that he would have no bones broken. Zechariah 12 will tell us that soldiers pierce his side and sure enough, that's what happened. Isaiah 53 tells us that he would be buried with the rich. And this man, Joseph of Arimathea, takes this peasant man, Jesus of Nazareth, and says, I want to give him my tomb in the garden area. A wealthy man's tomb, just as prophesied. Psalm 16.10 and 49.15 tells us that he would resurrect from the dead. We have all this eyewitness testimony recorded for us that he resurrected from the dead. We have a, a God today you cannot find a shrine to Jesus Christ because he's not there. Psalm 24, 7 through 10 will say that he ascends into heaven. And we read that he does that. Now, you can't fake this stuff, can you? I mean, how do you fake this kind of stuff? Yet this stuff is, is verified as written pre-Christ. It's written pre-Christ, pre-crucifixion. Is it a crazy coincidence? Couldn't possibly be. One of my very best and simultaneously very much my my worst moment of my life, as a child at least, was Easter Sunday in my single-digit years. I was, I don't know, nine or something. And uh, we were celebrating Easter at my cousin's house, as, as we often did. And we were hanging out, and one of the cousins got water balloons in his Easter basket. And so we were all out front filling up the water balloons, and the parents and the you know, grandparents, everybody was out in the back. But the kids were in the front, were playing water balloons and throwing them around. And, and uh, the, the adults, of course, were all decked out in their, you know, their nice Easter outfits that everybody spends time uh, picking out, and they're having adult conversation. And, and I remember one of the cousins dared me to take a water balloon from the front yard and throw it over the house, and just let it land in the back. As a, as a kid, I was like, that sounds awesome. And, and it was one of my best moments because sure enough, I, I took the dare and I took the water balloon and I chucked it over the house and I hear a, ah! And it was my Aunt Laura. It, it landed perfectly on her lap while she was sitting and having adult conversation. I mean, what are the chances of that, right? That's awesome. I mean, that, was, that was pretty amazing. Just blindly threw it over the house. It was also one of my worst moments because she was a seamstress and this was like this handmade Easter dress that she had put together and it was this beautiful dress. To be honest, it was 1980s beautiful, so it probably wasn't all that beautiful. But to her at the time, it was, it was beautiful. And, and, and needless to say, she was wet, she was in pain, and, and she was upset and it kind of ruined Easter for me. And, and now imagine with me if that dare came my way. Josh, I dare you to throw a water balloon over the house. And I rallied all nine or ten of my cousins. Let's all do it together. And they were like, yeah. And this didn't happen. But imagine if, if we did. And, and we all took the water balloon. And one, two, three. And we all threw nine or ten water balloons over the roof of the house. 
And would you believe it? All 10 of them landed right on my Aunt Laura's lap. That would be awesome, right? It would be impossible, right? One balloon, maybe a coincidence, right? All the balloons, that's a miracle. Pretty cool miracle for a kid. Similarly, these prophecies of Christ. Maybe one thing happens. Wow, that's cool. Coincidence? I gave you 20 plus prophecies of 300, approximately 300 prophecies that are very specific about Jesus that all came true. None went unfulfilled. It's a miracle. Stuff is crazy. And so the prophets are writing this stuff down and they're scratching their head. They're inquiring, like, how could this, how could this be? It made little sense at all until it did make sense when he came and it happened. And for us, where we're at today in history, hindsight is 2020, isn't it? We look at the prophecies now and say, how could it not be Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, it has to be him. And so if you're in the early church and you're suffering, you're wondering, is this pain that I'm going through worth it? If you're starting to doubt, is this, is this even real? Am I really suffering for nothing? Peter reminds you, listen, the prophets of old put forth all this evidence to satisfy your doubts. It's true. And this is what they needed to hear, that your faith is not in vain. You can, you can press on. All these prophecies point to Jesus. And they so wanted to, to see the fulfillment. But you get to see the fulfillment. You get to look back. You get to have 2020 vision and say, wow. And you can press on. Here's a simple rule for, for when you read the Bible. Look for Jesus. Well, Josh, what if I'm like an Exodus? Look for Jesus. What about like Leviticus? Look for Jesus. The whole of Bible, look, look for Jesus. Every story from beginning to end is about Jesus. Verse 20, uh, down in, in, in 1 Peter here, will we'll say that Jesus was foreknown from the foundations of the world. That he wasn't God's, uh, I, I better fix this kind of plan. He was God's plan from the beginning, that these people are going to need a rescuer. They will fail, but I will become man And I will graciously serve them to the point of death, even death on the cross, as Kevin read earlier. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. The whole story points to him. What the prophets said points to him. Where we're at today in the New Testament, we look back to him. It's about Jesus. He's our hope in the midst of the struggle. And so the prophets would speak about and they would write down exactly what God told them to, to write down. All the things concerning Jesus, our Messiah, the one they were anticipating. And they would inquire and they would try to fully get it, but they just couldn't fully get it. How could he be a king? Yet be pierced and spat upon. Who would do that to a, to a king? How could he be a miracle worker and yet be despised by men? But now we get it, right? Hindsight is, is twenty twenty. We say, of course, there really is no other way to satisfy the wrath of God for sin. That we sinned against a holy and righteous and perfect God and we were separated because of that. And God could have wiped his hands and said, well, I'm done with you. I made you for me and you've turned your back on me time and time and time again. But God instead says, I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to take on flesh, dwell among you. I'm going to be a man 
I'm going to live the life you couldn't live. And even in that life, you're going to still be awful towards me. I'm going to live the life that you couldn't live. I'm going to die the death that I didn't deserve, but you deserved in your place as your perfect sacrificial lamb. And I'm going to resurrect back to life. And I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father, reigning as King Jesus, so I can suffer and I can be a glorified king at the same time. And we say, wow, okay, now it it makes sense. But for the prophets, they inquired to understand the entire picture, and they didn't fully get it. Why? Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and me. And the things that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. And so they came to this understanding that their teaching, their prophecies were for you and for us, for the early church and us today. That someone would preach the message of Jesus and it would click. And he would now become your certain hope in the midst of a really difficult life. He's our hope. He's our inexpressible joy. He's our our glory. And the big idea this morning is perspective. We need perspective. I'm praying that this is going to give you perspective. That throughout history, Christians have, have, have suffered and struggled because they're living as sojourners in a foreign land. And they're not conforming to the patterns of this world because their kingdom is not here. Their kingdom is the eternal kingdom of God. And living for that kingdom, living for that God, far outweighs all that you think you miss out on by not conforming to the patterns in the kingdom of the world, by seeking to live in holiness. In fact, following Jesus is not refraining from those things. It's exchanging those things. Let me explain a little bit. You're not missing out on the things that the world has to offer. Instead, you're you're exchanging lesser things for something that is infinitely more better, infinitely greater, right? And so I'm praying that God gives you perspective today. And Peter says, let me give you some perspective. You get to see Jesus clearly. Not everyone has had that luxury. The prophets certainly didn't. Those before them certainly didn't, but they had faith in the coming Messiah. He says, yet you have had someone preach the good news to you. And hey, listen, even today, not everyone has that luxury, do they? Not everyone today has the good news preached to them. There are people all over the world today who haven't yet had the luxury of hearing the message of Jesus. Let's not dare take that for granted. Let's not dare take that for granted. Matthew chapter 24, 14, Jesus says this. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So all these people obsess themselves with the end times and when's it coming? He says, here's when it's coming. When, when the message of Jesus goes to the entire world. Has the message of Jesus gone to all the nations? No. No. In fact, the word uh, nations there is panta te ethne, and, and it means ethnic people, not nations as in like political nations, 
but ethnic people that are many within one nation. So India, for example, has 2,250 ethnic people groups within that nation, right? And so it's got to go to all those specific people in their language. And globally, we currently have approximately 5,845 unreached, unengaged people groups. Now, here's what that means. These are are not people that are reached by world mission standards. World mission standards would say if there's a population that has 2% or more evangelical Christians in their, their reach. We're talking about unreached and unengaged. Like there's no unified effort to engage these people. 5,845 unreached and unengaged people. And in those people, there's tens of hundreds of thousands of people per. Talking lots of people. Lots of people. So do not take it for granted that you have had the message of Jesus preached to you, or as he says, an understanding of what the prophets have said and then the news preached to you. Today we we judge churches by all kinds of standards, don't we? People will shop around a bit, and we judge it by all kinds of standards. How's the music? How comfortable is the facility? How are the the kids' programs? And, And on and on we can go. But here he says, here, here, here are two things that matter most. The good news is preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not man's wit, not man's intelligence, not man's ability to articulate, but the good news is preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the big idea here is perspective. That you've got 20-20 hindsight, you've got the message of Jesus preached to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and lastly, you got something that even the angels long for. Look again at the last piece of, of verse 12. It says, things in, into which angels long to look. Understand that the angels long to see and understand salvation. Have you ever considered that angels aren't saved They didn't receive salvation. If you know the story, a third of the angels fell from heaven. Dark angels, demons. They don't get the offer of salvation, do they? No. Their end, as you read the scriptures, is destruction. They're up to no good right now, but their end is is destruction. It's coming. But the other two-thirds of the angels, they never rebelled. Thus, they never need saving. And they marvel at our salvation, it says. They, they long to look into what we have. They long to know God's grace the way we're able to know God's grace, that we fail and he still takes us back. And this word given here for look is more than just like a quick glance. It's this, this word that means leaning over, looking in, like really wanting to, to see. A lot of people, myself included, have a fascination with heaven, don't you? just wonder what that would be like. Like, what is that like? What's it all about? I mean, I get the streets of gold and the mansions, but new heavens, new earth, city of God, there's no sun because the Lord lights it up. Like, I wonder, right? It's fascinating. It's pretty cool. But have you ever thought about the fact that it's telling us that the angels have fascination with what we're going through right now? The fact that we can experience this great salvation, that they're leaning in, to our reality, and they want to just fully get it. They want to understand this amazing gospel truth that we have experientially. 
And the point is perspective. Perspective, that we have hindsight. That we cannot just kind of have a blurry image of there's a Messiah, but we, we can fully see there's a Messiah, and here's what he's done very clearly for you and for me. And that when all else, everything else in life just seems so hopeless that he's your hope. And the point is that, that we have the perspective of you've got the gospel preached to you. Even when others around the globe do not have the gospel preached to them. There are people all over the world today who do not know the name of Jesus. No idea. It's hard to imagine, huh? And our society is like the most famous figure of all time. Despised by many, worshipped by others. There are people who don't even know the name of Jesus, and yet we have the gospel preached to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. But then we have something that the angels long for, and that's the experience of the grace of God upon us, salvation of Jesus. And so I I hope that this morning we've really began to just sit in the weight of the privilege that we're in right now. Like a teenager coming back from a trip to a third world country and saying, wow, I got it made. No more complaining. You know how many parents I had come up to me and say, okay, Josh, I don't know what you did to my kid down in Guatemala, but um, they came back and they're not whining about the food anymore. (laughs) They're not begging for new sneakers anymore. I don't know what you did, Josh. I said, I didn't do anything. Just brought them and they had new perspective. And I think we all need perspective to our season of life and history. And to tell God, thank you so much. Trials are going to come, if necessary, as he says. And those trials, God is using them to refine us and to make us more precious than gold, he says. And we can cling to the message and the presence of Jesus, the real hope of Jesus, understanding that the fullness of time, when our days end, we're going to be with him face to face for all eternity. But for now, let's, Let's leave with some good perspective on how privileged we are. And so let me invite you to, to close your eyes, if you would, and just, just get distractions out of the room, and I'm going to lead us in prayer in just a second here. But I'm aware that in a room like this, there are lots of people who you need fresh perspective. And maybe as we pray, you just need to pray to the Lord and, and just maybe confess to him that you... You've really been lacking in understanding how privileged you are. And you just need to talk to him, and I would encourage you to do that. And while you're doing that, I, I know that there are also in a, a room like this people who, who have never received the hope of Jesus, the message of Jesus. They never said yes to what Jesus offers them, that new and eternal life that comes only by the work of Jesus and by faith in his work and not our own work. And so maybe for you, you need to turn from sin and you need to turn to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to trust in you and what you've done for me. I would invite you to that as well. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you call upon his name in faith and trust and repentance. And he'll take you. But let me let you just take a, just a, a couple seconds of space to pray, and then I'll close this out.
Lord, thank you for perspective. God, I pray that we would leave today with just a real image, a picture of who you are and what you've done and what you have given us. You could have wiped your hands of us, been done with us. But you were able to satisfy both wrath for sin and be gracious and merciful and loving at the same time in some way that the the prophets long to understand, but we get it. Thank you, Lord. And may we place faith in Jesus. For the Christians in this room, may they live a life of just continual faith in Jesus and trust and, and, and real hope, real certainty that no matter how hard it gets, I'm going to make it. God is watching guard. And he's protecting me and granting me faith. So I commit them to you, Lord. Do your work in our hearts as we continue to worship you in song. In Jesus' name, amen.